Welcome to the Cumberland School of Law Research Radio, sharing stories about why faculty write what they write in legal scholarship. Hello, this is Blake Hudson, Dean at the Cumberland School of Law. Um, Today we're going to do a little bit of something different here on Research Radio, and we're going to be talking with one of our renowned alumni, uh, Ted Leopold, who uh, graduated from the University of Miami in 1980 and the Cumberland School of Law in 1987. Uh, Ted is going to be talking to us a little bit today about the Flint, Michigan water crisis and some of the work that he's done uh, on that case. Um, He's a partner at Cohen Milstein. Uh, He's co-chair of the Complex Tort Litigation and Consumer Protection Practice at the firm. Uh, He's done solely trial work uh, with a focus on complex products liability, environmental toxic torts, managed care abuse, consumer class actions, and catastrophic injury and wrongful death litigation. Uh, He's been uh, appointed, court-appointed, interim co-lead counsel in two high-profile putative environmental toxic tort class actions, including Henry Flint water cases, uh, which resulted in a $626 million partial settlement, and the Cape Fear River contaminated water class action litigation. Uh, Ted, thanks so much for being here with us today. Dean, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Well, can you tell us a little bit about your background? I know I just gave the impressive uh, resume and, and uh, what you've been involved in, but what brought you into the area of environmental law and, and kind of do you, do you have any kind of personal background that, that makes you interested in that area? Well, so, uh, been practicing for over 30 years and over a long period of time, had a lot of experience in various uh, complex class litigations and and complex tort types of litigations. And um, with uh, the type of work we've been doing generally uh, in mass torts types of matters when the Flint water crisis occurred, um, we got involved and Judge Levy, who's the federal district court judge um, in Ann Arbor, uh, chose me to be one of the two co-leads in that case. So for the last seven plus years, we've been litigating that case. And had a very, uh, very proud to say we had a wonderful recovery against the state of Michigan. Um, and we are in the final throes, which we start a trial in October of 2023 against the two private engineering firms that are two remaining defendants that are left there. Okay. Well, tell us a little bit about that. So I know uh, a lot of our listeners have probably heard about the Flint, Michigan water crisis, but it's been seven years and it, it's kind of probably gone to the back of some people's minds, but it's still ongoing. So how did Flint happen at a very basic level? And who were the players involved? And and how did the contamination occur of the water supply there? It's sort of a long, torrid history um, that happened, but really started around the 2010-2012 time period when, for many years, the Flint, which is one of the largest cities in the state of Michigan, um, had financial issues. Ultimately, uh, the governor, through governmental powers, um, uh, put an emergency manager in place to the city because of their financial issues. One of the big financial issues was how they were getting their water and how it was being paid for. Um, Many years ago, they stopped getting the water from the Flint River because of contamination issues, et cetera, and they began to get it from the Detroit Water District. Um, And it was determined over a period of time was very expensive. So they were going to figure out how to save money and build an infrastructure of a water utility within the Flint area. 
but that was going to take time. So in the interim, they decided through the emergency manager and Governor Snyder through multiple meetings to um, stop the Detroit River water from coming in, and they were going to go back to the Flint water that had been there. Unfortunately, none of the um, engineering analysis that was required and be needed in order to make sure that the water was being uh, provided by the Flint River was going to be clean water. This is water that over a long period of time, chlorine, salt, et cetera, which is very corrosive, um, was going to be transported into people's homes. And one of the unfortunate things of the Flint community, which is a, a very impoverished community, minority community, um, once the automobile manufacturers left that area many years ago, back in the, in the 80s and the 90s, um, the homes there that have been uh, built over a long period of time had iron and or lead piping. So over a period of time, there's a coating that occurs to those piping. And when this water from the Flint River, which was so corrosive with chlorine and salt and things of that sort, it started to degrade the piping. And um, all of these uh, materials that fell off um, the piping, which is lead exposure, got into people's homes, into the water, into humans by drinking, showering, a whole bunch of different uh, ways. And um, a lot of uh, lead exposure occurred, um, people lost hair, uh, rashes, um, and unfortunately, lead exposure to young children is very, very dangerous, causes a lot of mental uh, brain issues. And that's what happened. And it was all due to the fact that the, um, the governor and uh, the emergency manager wanted to save money and they didn't put in the right um, protections to make sure the water was going to be clean. And the private engineering firms, which have not settled yet, gave some really bad advice that contributed to the exposure. It's almost a case study in um, some of the failures of federalism in the sense of having so many different players involved at the federal, state, local levels, even in the private sector, right? And I, I often hear it uh, described as, as that uh, problem of federalism. But um, Well, that's interesting you say that because the EPA was involved too, and the EPA knew that there were problems, and uh, there's a whole separate litigation going on against the EPA for not providing enough uh, warnings. Hmm. Yeah, so so tell us about the litigation that you've been a part of, the, the, the other the other set of litigation. I mean, it's it's been taking place over the last seven years. You've still got another trial. Just get us up to speed on what's been happening So there. it's been a very interesting dynamics of the case, both uh, class action matter as well as a mass tort matter. There's approximately um, 100,000 people that live in the Flint community, approximately 30,000 residential homes that have been affected. So um, Judge Levy, through the years, when we uh, finally, through years of discovery and depositions and document production, um, investigations, once we got to a point where we moved for certification, Judge Levy certified several of the classes, property classes, adult classes, business classes that are all were affected by the contamination. The one area that she did not certify were minors, because under Michigan law, minors cannot be certified as a class. So there is a whole um, aspect of, of a mass action of minors and some adults, and those individuals are going through a claims process right now where their damages are being evaluated by a claims administrator. Um, property damages will be evaluated in the same way. The total amount of the settlement against the state was uh, approximately $600 million. Wow. 
Are, are there any, um, how do they approximate uh, damages associated with, you know, the research that you find on exposure to lead piping and, and effects on IQ and, and performance in school and even some research on, on crime and, 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 and IQ levels in areas where there's high lead exposure? I mean, are they able to quantify that in any there, way? The, the, you can. There's a, a, some very um, uh, specialized experts in that area that deal with lead exposure, especially with as it relates to minors. And actually in Michigan and Ann Arbor, there's some wonderful experts that have specialized in that area. Um, as I mentioned earlier, lead exposure to children is very, very dangerous and causes terrible um, uh, life-lasting brain type of, of, of injuries. Um, uh, as part of the settlement, um, close to 80% of the money will go to children. Um, because they are the most harmed in, in, at this stage. Um, and then uh, the remaining monies will go to property damage, adults, and depending on what happens with this still existing lawsuit against the private engineering firms, any recovery that comes from that litigation will then be dispersed to adults, um, property owners, things of that sort. All right, so you've kind of got us caught up where we are today. I mean, what, what should we expect in the coming years? Um, uh, I know you said you have a trial in October, um, and then you said there's another separate uh, trial against the EPA. I mean, is this going to be another 10 years of litigation going on over this case or ongoing? Or, I mean, are, um, and, and then also, I guess, part of that question would be, uh, where does Flint go from here? Have they, have, will there be some policy changes and some infrastructure changes to address the actual problems that occurred? Well, that's a good question, Dean. Um, uh, and there's a lot of answers uh, to that. Um, I think one of the most important things that the Flint litigation as a whole has has uh, proffered is the importance of um, water issues into communities, primarily minority communities. Um, the greatest number of communities that are harmed by contaminated water and lead piping and things of that sort are minority communities because it's a lot of old homes that were built um, with uh, piping that is very old. Um, uh, Jackson, Mississippi is an example that recently has uh, suffered similar types of, of injuries as Flint. Um, so I think there's an awareness, uh, and in fact, in President Biden's infrastructure bill, there is a large amount of funds that can go to repiping, taking out lead pipes from homes. So uh, these types of issues don't occur in the future. In, in terms of the litigation, uh, we hope it won't be another 10 years. <laughs> uh, there's been probably over 16 appeals to the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals just in the initial Flint litigation. Um, but uh, litigation takes time, especially complex litigation like this. So um, uh, we just have to let the uh, litigation take care of itself. All right. Well, thank you. And, and uh, we're so happy to have you participating uh, tomorrow in our symposium on water crises and environmental justice uh, here at the Cumberland School of Law. Uh, we're going to be talking about Flint, Michigan, uh, Jackson, Mississippi, uh, some of the issues associated with Uniontown, Alabama sewage uh, infrastructure. And so these are important issues, and we appreciate you so much uh, representing us. Uh, we're proud of you for your work and helping to uh, um, seek equity and justice for people who've been harmed uh, under under these unfortunate circumstances. But And thank you so much for Thanks, joining Andy. us here today. I'm very proud to be an alumni of Cumberland. All right. Take care.
Thanks for listening to the Cumberland School of Law Research Radio. Join us next time for more interesting backstories on legal scholarship.